You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. It happened in here. She, she was sitting right here. He could have seen us through this window. Standing on the lawn, he could have seen inside. <laughs> you must think me a very sinister doctor. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I do have proven. Seems to me you're just playing scared. Yes, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I met him. Fifteen years ago, I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. Hello and welcome to a very spooky edition of the 602 Club. I hope you are glad to be here because I am glad to be here, and I want to introduce my guest host today, the wonderful and accomplished John Mills, who has talked me into watching a movie that's quite scary. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I've i spent uh, 15 years keeping you locked up trying to watch this film. And, uh, and you finally <laughs> well, did. I have escaped in a station wagon, and now... <gasps> I'm ready to talk about it. Not just any station wagon, a uh, 1978 Ford LTD, which I know for a fact is one of the toughest cars ever created in history because a friend of mine really? owned one. And uh, the thing was... We, and you put that through hell, didn't you? Uh, we, called it the, uh, <laughs> we called it the war wagon. The thing was unstoppable. <laughs> no, seriously. Like He spun out one time and he actually hammered the fender back into shape, like with a hammer. Wow. Yeah, yeah and they just put it That's back impressive. on and kept driving. So. It's good. Yeah, they don't make them like that anymore. They, do, they? do not because they care about gas mileage. So <laughs> this is true. Yeah. You know, when gas isn't like forty-eight cents a gallon, Ex- you really do care. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh well, welcome to the Six Hundred Two Club. I hope everybody is excited to be here, uh, and especially as you're listening to us when it drops, it's going to be Halloween 2018, and. That is exactly what we are going to be talking about. Now, I got to preface that by saying this is Halloween 1978. There's a brand new movie, which is Halloween 2018, which is different films, which is not to be confused with Halloween, which came out in 2007 and was directed by oh, Rob Zombie. So could, why just just name it something different? Uh, you know, that's actually a really good question is we're in the era of Halloween you know, like it should shouldn't it be like Halloween colon something something something, right? Like it's so wild that the sequel, the newest sequel, has the same title as the original. Like it's it, it it's off putting in a sense. It is very off putting because I I mean even like when you're just searching for it like an IMDb or whatever, and you gotta go choose oh which Halloween do I want instead of like being it's Halloween. Like I am so kind of kind of surprised the new one isn't like Halloween colon. Michael's Revenge or something, you know. Right, yeah. No, uh, even when the first time they tried to, well, I mean, technically it was the second time, but the first time it's acknowledged that they tried to completely reboot the series, um, 
Halloween H2O 20 years later. There, um, there weren't enough colons in that movie. It was just, it was literally Halloween H2O 20 years later on screen. Are you sure there weren't like a lot of colons like laying around the floor that had been like carved out or something? I'm pretty you sure know. somebody evacuated one at some point, but you know. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, before we get going completely here and forget to mention, um, yeah, you can find us all over the place here at the 602 Club. Um, we're on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM with all the other Trek FM shows. Uh, while you're over there, you know, hit us up with a star rating and review. But you can find us all over the place, wherever you get your podcasts. We're even in Spotify, so make sure you check us out there. Um, any place you can give us a star rating and review helps, but specifically on iTunes, uh, it's it's really the best place uh, to help out the show grow. So four years going strong. Um, make sure you help us out in that way, and, and I'll call you out in the show if you give us a star rating and review, a written review, uh, and then I can read it on the show, and, and thank you for that. You can find us on Twitter, TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. There is a listeners-only discussion group, which you can find on Facebook, called the Babel Conference. If you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field, or if you're on our website at Trek.FM, any of the show pages, hit discussion on the menu bar, and that would bring you over there. And then last but not least, if you want to send an email, which I love getting emails, so you know, don't get enough emails. So I don't know why people don't send the new snail mail anymore, but go over to the Trek.FM slash contact, choose a show, Choose the 602 Club, and then that message will come to me and any host that's on that week, and we can talk to you about whatever it is that you would like to talk about. Halloween, 1978. John, I wanted to ask you, because this is a movie that I know that you really, really like, and it's, uh, it's, it's been a movie that's had a big impact for you as a film fan and, and for a very long time. And so I kind of wanted to ask you about your first experience, your first time with watching, a, watching Halloween, and I really wanted to hear from you, what is it, that you love about this film specifically? Uh, the first time I encountered this, my recollection is that I had come home from trick-or-treating and it was on TV. And I was just sitting in the family room uh, watching it on an old little, gosh, I, it, it, probably the TV screen was like a nine-inch zenith or something like that. <laughs> and uh, Classic. Yeah, just, just watching <laughs> it, pan and scan, not even letterboxed. Um, at, yeah, just the network version and just sitting there watching it. And, um, my recollection, although this isn't, this can't possibly be correct, but my recollection is that I changed channels at one point and caught, uh, either the entirety of, or part of Halloween two, uh, that same night, or maybe I turned back or something because the, my first memory of seeing these you know, Halloween and Halloween two are at this point conflated into one event. And I instantly became somewhat obsessed uh, with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, when years later, four years later, uh, when I took my cousins out trick or treating, I actually dressed up as Michael Myers uh, with a, like a legit Don post studios, Michael Myers recreation mask. Um, and uh, so, in a sense, Michael Myers has always been the boogeyman uh, to me, just because the it, it's just indelibly, you know, when I'm in a dark room or I'm turning my back on a, a dark basement or something, I don't see Jason, I don't think of Freddy, I think of that that just you know implacable William Shatner face staring back at me. So you think of the you know the attack of the mouth breather? That's that's what scares you. It ruins any movie theater experience, that's for sure. But um bum bum. But yeah, you know, like it, it's it's one of those things where um, just that idea. I mean, I grew up in the sticks, and so you know, it, it was really. I, I mean, you know, first suburbs, then sticks, and so there, it very much spoke to that idea of like being out somewhere where, you know, you didn't really know your neighbors too well. And, you know, later on, I didn't have many neighbors. And just that idea of, like, is somebody out there in the dark, right? Like, if I see somebody with a hockey mask, whatever, you know, and somebody in my dreams, I already know, yeah, okay, that ain't going to happen. But, like, just the idea that there's some psycho out there just staring, just, and I can't read a face, and I can't, I don't hear a voice, and, like, yeah, that's, that's unsettling. You, do you think that Star Trek gets any residuals from this? Ha, no, you know, it, it's funny. Um, the first time I ever found out that it was a William Shatner mask was actually thanks to The Tonight Show. 
because William Shatner and Jamie Lee Curtis were on the same Tonight Show episode, and Shatner was on there promoting Star Trek V. And <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis looked at him at one point and said, "You know, Michael Myers, that was a that was a William that was a Captain Kirk mask." And you know, in his Shatner way, he was like, "Huh?" And I like at that moment it was like, you know, young me was like, "It's what?" And like, you know, back then there's no internet. Like, so, you know, you do the hard work of like looking up old Bangorian Starlog magazines and stuff like, is that true? Is that true? And it is. Yeah. That, that cracked me up um, because there are, there are times when you're, you know, watching the film and, and you are kind of glued in on his face and you're like, it really just looks like a really white William Shatner looking at you and it's just creepy. It just, I, I guess, I mean, I wasn't much of a Star Trek fan growing up, so it, it, that connection didn't exist for me. I can like see it now. Um, there's actually somebody yeah. where what they did was they recreated the mask and then they gave it, uh, f- you know, Shatner's flesh tone. And it's like, oh yeah, spitting image. But just, I think just the step of shaving the hair off and then gluing it back on made it, you know, put it just a little bit off. No, I mean, cause it, it, it the rest of it doesn't, doesn't have that feel you know obviously with with the hair being different and so what so i you know for your first time you saw it as it is a kid what is it that that captured you then as an older person that kind of kept you feeling like this was a movie worth coming back to honestly i you know i'm i, I don't this is one of those movies where i don't think i can add anything particularly interesting to the conversation in terms of that, except to say that... Well, I'm... Well, yeah, yeah, let me just preface everyone by saying, this is the first time I've ever seen it. So I'm right. asking John this question because I'm a complete noob to the this Halloween movie. So I'm just wondering, I don't I don't care if, if it's anything new. I'm just wondering, you know, what it is that kind of keeps you coming back. I think, I think it's definitely... I, I The minimalist score, I think, is it's creepy. Like when you're driving around at night and you know, that music comes on. Um, I think that the, there is a tremendous discipline in the way that Dean Cundy set up the shots in the film, uh, especially the more iconic ones, the way that this film is lit, um, is, is unsettling in and of itself. Uh, you, you know, you go back to, you know, the shot of her in tears and Michael slowly revealing in the shadows behind her and she can't see him, but the audience can. Those sorts of things. The I think that there is a, a rigid discipline to the structure, but I think that really what gives the film its soul and probably why I've stayed, um, the thing that I think makes it work the best is Donald Pleasance's performance because he's the one I I really do think that Loomis is that that missing ingredient that all of the imitators missed out on where you have Loomis as this very reasonable he's a doctor he's a psychiatrist and even he has thanks to his exposure to Michael come to no longer try to explain him, but just say he is just pure evil. And to hear a, a person of science, a person of reason, say, I got nothing. This person's just pure evil. Like, that's, that I think is the the soul of the film. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that you mentioned or, you know, just for me, the first time was my wife and I watched this last night. We just rented it on iTunes and luckily I think I think it's the 4K version that's on iTunes now that that's out uh, the, as well. So. The transfer is approved by uh, Cundy, so I hope so because it, yeah. it's important to so, make I sure mean, that it, he So, I mean, you know, it. It, it looks very good and, and in that sense, you know, the, 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 the presentation um, – and I, I think I appreciated, you know, for the, the the things that you mentioned about the filmmaking aspects, you know, the beginning of the movie where he does the point of view, you know, with the kill and everything, which it, which is funny because I was like, wow, he's really ahead of his time with this first person shooter, um, huh. you know, 
because uh, that's what it feels like is is that kind of video game aspect of you know you're going around the house and all that and in this that, that kind of perspective and then of course you know the, his first kill is a six-year-old where you know you're just looking through the eye holes of the mask and everything and it's it's as if you are in the head of Michael Myers doing this thing which is very creepy I mean it, it's a good way to start off the film uh, and and then he kind of continues that with a lot of close-up shots with things so you you get that uneasy sense where because you can't see what's going on in the the other you know the periphery of your vision for the characters mm-hmm. uh, and so it, it does give you so I think he does a lot of really smart things in that and I think I can I can really sense why this movie I could I could see why it kind of was it became a hallmark for the rest of the horror genre because it, it created a lot of things that helped create the suspense that he wanted you know and and that what I really appreciated about the film is that I don't like a lot of blood and gore that's just not my thing. So what I loved is that he created the suspense in much the same way that Hitchcock creates his suspense, which is leaving you guessing as to when something's going to be revealed, continually kind of holding off until it's that moment where it could catch you off guard. You know, a lot of those kind of things that Hitchcock would do to, you know, freak you out at the right moment. I mean, I felt like Carpenter picked up on a lot of that stuff and, and did it pretty decently here uh and in the sense of being able to create a suspense without showing you a lot of stuff which i think is such smart uh, economic filmmaking Uh, well economic yeah this was a really low budget film and uh like what over three hundred thousand, i think it was something uh, something some some minuscule amount like that and uh i'm glad that you call out the hitchcock thing because this is not even though it spawned the subgenre known as slasher, although that's even arguable in and of itself because there was a, a movie called Black Christmas, and of course, you blow completely past Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you know stuff like that when you get into that conversation. But Halloween was you know hugely commercially successful, hit a, a chord with all the audiences. Um, but uh, it's it isn't a slasher film; it is a suspense film, and it is done as a tribute to Hitchcock. Uh, well, I mean, they didn't like say, oh, we're going to make a Hitchcock tribute. They said they wanted to basically make a Hitchcock-esque film, and that's why Sam Loomis even has the name Sam Loomis, is it's an homage to Psycho. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, that's the kind of thing that, that works for me. And, and, and in many ways, I, I saw, you know, um, the the same kind of aspects that John Krasinski used in Quiet Place, mm-hmm. in that sense of like you're creating suspense by not showing too much, but you're setting up the situations so that you're on the edge of your seat as oh when is that going to come into play oh that's not going to be good you know like um the the whole part where her friend is doing her laundry and you keep wondering when if and when Michael's going to attack her because he's there yeah. and you know he's there but she doesn't know he's it, it kind of reminded me of the same way in which John Krasinski set up the the nail you know mm-hmm. when is somebody's going to step somebody's going to step on that one you know and it's that thing where it's just there and you know something's going to happen you just don't know when it's going to happen and that moment that it does it 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 releases that suspense but He's very, you know, Carpenter, again, I feel like does that here in the film where, and then there are times when you think something's going to happen and it doesn't quite yet, so it throw, it, it, you let your guard down a little bit and then it, it starts all back up again and, and that's usually where he kind of gets you. Um, so I just, I felt like I can totally see the way in which this film kind of becomes a benchmark for people wanting to do this type of thing and and like we we talked a little bit uh well we talked a lot before the beginning mm. of the show cuz we were just catching up and talking about the film and everything but then it it people kind of take this mold and then run with it in the sense that they turn it into something else yeah other than what this film actually is which I, I, for me I personally enjoy a film more like this than I do something where it's just People getting bloods and guts and all that kind of stuff all over the place. It's like, you know. Yeah, and that's and that's even the thing that's, you know, its most famous imitator is Friday the 13th. And you can see even with that first one, there's some attempt to copy this template a little more closely than it turned into. Because um, Friday the 13th 
was the mass produced one. It's the, you know, and it's the one that sort of just derailed the evolution of the entire subgenre, honestly. But um, in terms of of setting up the tension, I you know the the fact that you have a killer that has a face that you can see that to get back to your point in the beginning of the film, you're essentially put inside Michael's head and you're trying to, you don't want to do this. You don't, what's going on? Stop this. I, you know, like you are the most uncomfortable spectator in the world. And then you've gotten that, that intimate moment with him and you still don't understand him. And then you have other moments, whether it's an over the shoulder shot or his face in the window where you still don't understand why, like it, that's just reinforced through the whole thing. And it, you know, it, even up to and including his reasoning is, is the reasoning of a psychopath where it is, there's some sort of reason here, but God help us if we can try to figure it out. It's just, you don't know how his mind is working. Yeah, and I, I really, uh, I appreciated that as well about the film because I think, you know, on top of the thing that he he creates with the suspense is the fact that, like you said, is that Loomis, you know, talks about this this Michael Myers and he says, look, I I couldn't figure out this person until I realized it's, there is nothing there to figure out other than that this is evil. Right. And I actually really appreciated that because, you know, I feel like, you know, we got to that place where we're trying to deconstruct all of our villains and everything. And, and, and but that there, this movie, I think it, it, it flows with the rest of human history, which is that we know that there is evil out there. And when we see it in something like this, we know it instinctively. There's, we don't have to have it, um, you know, uh, broken down. It's just, it is evil and anybody who would want to just wantonly kill people for no other reason than just to kill them is is evil and and we need to it's okay to call out evil for what it is and so i really appreciated that this film doesn't try to do the thing that so many films will try to do later on which is is try to give you some sort of insights and as to why and, and rationalize it or anything like that because that's where it's actually what you're talking about why do we want to rationalize psychopaths? Right. That's not a good thing. Well, I mean, there's just no chance that, you know, a psychopath has reason but no empathy. And that is something that right. an average human being can't do. I mean, I, you know, honestly, uh, it, it is it is something where this film also comes into play during a time when awareness of serial killers is coming to the forefront. You've got Going on, um, you know, su- uh, the summer of Sam was 77, if I recall correctly. Um, and you have, uh, you know, Gacy and Bundy's about to break into the, uh, the you know, the, the national consciousness and everything. And so there's very much an underlying subconscious tension that exists in society because we're starting to become more familiar with the fact that it's it's uh, more common than we would like to realize that there are people kind of like Michael Myers out there, people we're never going to be able to understand or reason with. And, you know, even, um, you know, in Psycho, you know, Norman's based on a real guy, but people weren't really aware, like that it wasn't quite the national news about Ed Gain, but when you get into the 70s, it's becoming national news that these types of people are out there and operating. And so people are much more aware of this phenomenon. And I, you know, I think that um, that's why this works as an homage to Psycho is because that's based on a real guy who was like that. And so it, you know, it calls to mind just something that is culturally just part and parcel of our awareness now. And it's a, uh, it, it is something that's interesting to me just because it, it, I, I guess I, I have a question then for you, you know, when talking about that, why do you think it is that we enjoy 
that people and put it this way that people enjoy these type of films when it is this um this visceral evil and yet specifically like in this movie you know michael doesn't die he gets away you know so what is it about us uh, as a people that wants to kind of see that like i i i'm I, that's it seems very strange to me okay uh and you're going to be sick of this i don't know if i've used this anywhere like when we've recorded before but you've heard me say this to you about the roller coaster the roller coaster principle why do i go on a roller coaster i go on a roller coaster because i'm strapped in and my conscious rational mind knows that it is in the financial best interest of this theme park to ensure that i survive this experience but the tiny lizard brain inside my my skull buried deep down there is being scared to death doing something that every survival instinct in my my soul says what what don't do this you don't belong 200 feet in the air what are you do what are you doing stupid and so you get that conflicting adrenaline rush i don't think that there's a desire to uh celebrate i mean freddy krueger gets into this uncomfortable gray area where there is this sort of celebration of the anti-hero killer uh sort of thing which is really weird that's a whole other topic but like i think that these sorts of things are very key like any horror story that kids have embraced over time it, and i think especially in the teenage years you're you're becoming much more conscious of mortality, and so this is a way to sort of exercise that uh, that tension, and not not exercise like you know free weights, but like exorcise, like expe- expunge that tension that sort of lays underneath. I confronted it, I survived it, I got out, and I think that the power of the ending in this film is specifically the fact. I don't think there ever should have been a sequel at all. Um, I think that the new sequel overriding the whole series and becoming the one true sequel to this is good. Like it's a good makeup move. Um, but I don't think there ever should have been a sequel to this because the ending is specifically structured like the best urban legends, the story of hook hand, the story of the phone call coming from upstairs, those sorts of things. We, tell ourselves these stories because they give us the opportunity to indulge in that fear that we're all carrying around all the time is, you know, when I get in the car to drive to work, am I coming home? Right. That's there. And these movies give you the opportunity to, you know, work with that and make, and make it through that. So you're saying that horror movies are basically just a collective worst case scenario. I guess. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that it, it's, it's, you know, you, you can argue till you're blue in the face about, um, you know, where the state of horror now, the state of horror then, is it really different? Those sorts of things. But yeah, I, I think that it's a, we're all raised by parents that are trying to keep us safe. They say, don't go. Oh, I don't want you going off on that trip. I don't want you doing those things. And so it mm-hmm. sort of indulges that more childish aspect too, I guess. Right. It's interesting to to me because our experience are vastly different. You know, you um, having seen this, grown up with it, you love it still. And, you know, my experience just seeing it last night. And you talked about, you know, for you, the boogeyman is Michael Myers. But I will be honest that I did not find this movie scary at all. Like there wasn't anything scary in it. I, I wasn't scared. It It didn't, it doesn't give me nightmares. It actually made me laugh for most of it. Um, because of the things that were happening in it. So it's just interesting to me because there is such a different experience that we have in our viewings of the film and the the villain. And so for me, this became this was kind of much more of a it it felt like much more like an academic experience of like, like okay, I'm gonna watch this and see like what it is that everybody talks about with this film. and and I can like recognize some of the technological things, but the actual experience of the like, the, the the what it's going for the idea of horror to me it's not horrific it, it was it's kind of silly let let me let me ask you this though uh, sure. honest question what were your viewing conditions under what conditions did you 
watch this. Were you? I mean, I just sit next to my wife. We only have one light on when we watch a movie because it's the one that doesn't shine on the TV. It's not very. It's, I mean, it's not super bright. But I mean, were, you know? were there um, were there any uh, any other distractions? Were you guys talking during the film? I mean, because and the the, the reason the reason I ask that is because it, just like a campfire story, it the setting sets the stage for how you're going to experience it, right? Right. No, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I mean, I, I just, I don't know if I would personally be scared of this movie ever. It, at this point in my life, watching it, I just, I'm, I'm not, it, it was, to me, it was, it, there wasn't anything, and I think part of it and is just that there wasn't anything in it that was like really surprising, that really made me startle, you know, for the most part. Um, there are a couple of little moments where I was like, oh, you know, like it, it, you know, it gets you that like, you know, but they're just, it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't scary. And, and, you know, like I tend to be somebody who it's easy to have my imagination start running and freak myself out. Right. Like that's just me as a person. So, but this movie, I, I, you know, I didn't have any problem going to bed last night or going right to sleep. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like it kept me up or you know anything like that. So, do you it's think just, that, it is interesting to me? Do you think that the anticipation, people talking about it so much, and the foreknowledge of the respect and reputation played into your reaction? That's a that is a that's a good question, and I I don't know. I don't know if I could give you an honest answer because it's such a movie that you know is kind of like. You know, like people talk about Halloween, uh, but at the same time, I, mean, I, I I think part of the answer I could give is that I'm not a horror person. I don't enjoy these type of movies for the most part, but there are certain things that I have enjoyed recently that made me think maybe this would be something I would like. You described it as more of a Hitchcock film, which the parts of that that I think worked, I enjoyed, um, and I I liked that. And and the fact that it kind of was more of a film in the in the lines of like a Hitchcock or a, a you know a Quiet Place where it is more about this 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 suspense, I liked all of that more. But it wasn't anything like for for Michael Myers to be like you described for you. He's the boogeyman for me. He's just it it was it was quite laughable. And I think part of it was just that. The, the the scenes where Michael keeps getting like stabbed or like shot or you know any of those things and the and the fact that he keeps getting up and coming at you like I kind of get that he's obviously the personification of evil and evil just keeps coming right like it never stops but I I would have I think it would have been more effective for me is if they had instead of like stabbing him or getting him in the eye or whatever and and him just continuing to come at you like nothing's really happened it would have been scarier to me as if they had been able to just find ways to narrowly escape rather than seemingly injure him in a way that would keep anybody else from moving but ever that's, again. But that's the part that's the campfire story, right? That's the part that's the horror film yeah. is that he's, su he's supernatural because of the exchange. It really was the boogeyman. As a matter of fact, it was, right? right. Is like it right. does... That's where it pulls the rug out from underneath you is this sense of you're going through this film thinking to yourself, just a guy, just a guy. I mean, like you would go into any situation, a do or die situation thinking, okay, it's me against him or me against her or what have you. This is a human being. I'm going to fight for my life. I'm going to be able to get out of this. I'm going to fight until nobody's fighting anymore. And you do what you think you need to do to win. And, you right. know, it, 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 he's like the Terminator in that sense, right? Now, how yeah. or why? And that's where the horror aspect of it comes in, and that's why the ending is so creepy, is, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. He should be dead. There's no way, you know, yeah, there's no way right. a human being's taking six forty-five slugs, you know, or 44 slugs, sorry, that was a revolver, but, like, or, you know, even if Loomis misses with the first shot, he takes five shots, you know, center mass after being stabbed in the eye and, and, and the neck. And you think to yourself, well, there's no right, way a human falls being. falls on the ground on his back and he should be right. dead. Yeah. There's no way a human being can survive that. He must not be a human being. This has just become a supernatural right. story. And I think 
that you just keyed on in on the thing that is not done well enough in the film was to give that kind of spin to it to really make it work for me. Like I, I, I see where the there are pieces for that in the movie, especially with the conversations you have with Loomis and the and the um the sheriff. You know, I, I, I get that there there's some of that. And of course, you know, obviously with the little boy and talking about the boogeyman, this whole thing, you know, I, I get all of that. It just I would say for me it it just didn't work the way that it's supposed to. And for me the well, the, the technical aspects of the film are what give it a certain level the rest of the movie i find it it was just it 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 failed in its it, its attempt what would have made it work how how would that have made it work because that's 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 basically the big reveal at the end is he should be dying why isn't he dying right so um w- what makes that work I, I yeah i think what makes it work for me if if you could make this work is i i I think Loomis is good. I think that the rest of the the acting in the movie is subpar. I hate to say. I, I just don't think it it's very good. Um well, I mean and, I, I and I think hmm. and I think that um the uh I, I honestly and I know you really like it, but I think that the music hurts the movie rather than helps the movie because it keeps choreographing and telegraphing all the like times you're supposed to be scared, but in the in a really cliched way, not in a way that really helps me. Where I I think it would have been much more helpful to have the music not use the same theme every single time you're supposed to quote unquote be scared or have that moment. Just it, I. Just, I there's there the way that it's structured, the way that he's using it, it actually hurt the movie rather than helped me. And it, it, it gave me that like, this is all oh, this is funny because it seems so corny instead of like, oh, this is scary. And that's the difference in our experiences because I know that for you, it is something that really works. And so, but just for me watching the film, it, it, it felt more like a cliche of a movie than it felt like a movie. And maybe that's because you said it. Maybe some people built it up way too much and it just couldn't live up to the hype for me. I, I can honestly say, uh, with, with no no hint of irony, you are the literal first person I've ever encountered that didn't have positive things to say about the score. And that I'm unique. It, yeah. It, I, I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, it's like it's in a bad way, but okay. No, no, no. Well, you know. It, it is what it is. I'm not offering it as a criticism of you. I'm just saying like no, I it's one of those things where I I legitimately have never run across that specific criticism before. And so in a sense, that's one of the most disorienting uh, critiques that you have because it's like, you know, I, I can even say that uh, if I if I go full on detached, like, you know, I leave all the lights on and I'm just watching it just because sort of thing. And th- this is this is literally this is a film that is uh, nothing like It's a Wonderful Life, except in one regard, in that I'm very measured with how many times I watch it, because I know that there is a fuse of how long it can, it's going to be effective. And if I were to watch this film, you know, once every month, it's gonna follow. It's gonna eventually. No film was ever meant to be watched that many times. And a suspense film in specific, or something that's supposed to have a specific emotional impact, you know, you need mm-hmm. to preserve um, that sort of experience about it. But it, you know, in terms of the music, even, even uh, if I want to like totally detach myself and be like, well, that babysitter's not getting, uh, you know, paid that night. She left my kid at home. <laughs> To go check on her friends, or who cares if her friends <laughs> yeah. are dead? You know that sort of thing. Yep. Like that's still projecting, you know, a little bit too much of, you know, all of the all of the different baggage I'm going to bring into it. Uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, I I think that there is so much about this that works and that makes it, you know, a go to classic uh, for for so many. It's just, it's interesting to me because the second one, 
Halloween 2 is the one that over time, each time I've watched it, has it's lost a, a considerable amount of esteem from me. It's gone from it's just as good as the original to I really like it to it's pretty cool to it's better than average. Like it's literally t- followed that trajectory, whereas this one has never followed that trajectory. This one has always, even when I've been able to divorce the the scary monster aspect of it as an exercise in watching filmmaking, it's still, I I could turn the sound off and have it playing while I'm working on the computer and just watch the imagery. And it's so well paced and well shot that I can't, you know, like I, I just think it's in a, it's an achievement. I mean, you know, from that aspect. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, maybe it would have worked better as a silent film because I think a lot of the, the things that don't work for me have to do with things like, like I said, the acting and the music and all that, which I don't have a problem with the other part aspect that you mentioned, which is, I think that the, uh, the, you know, the DP work here with the lighting and everything I think you're right is actually really good. Um, the, the way that they use shadow is really effective. That kind of stuff I think really works. Even just the camera movements and everything, the fact that you're using the steady cam for the first time, really uh, like this. You know, it's a very new technology, and so they're really utilizing that. And he's showing all the different ways that you can do the shots. And like I said earlier, with the 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 aspect of having a lot of close-ups so that it gives you that you can't see what else is happening. So you're waiting any moment for something to happen because you, you, you can't see it as the audience, you know, because it feels like you don't have that peripheral vision. All that stuff I think is really good. It's just something about the rest of the movie. It just, it doesn't come together for me as a horror film. And and part of that is just, it, I, I was never scared. And so it, in that it's a failure as a horror film, whereas I can recognize some of the the ways in which, you know, Carpenter created some things that would then, you know, be go on to be hallmarks of, of what we consider to be the mo- the modern horror film. See, I, I find it, I, I just, I, I find it interesting, um, you know, in the sense that. Uh, I, I do. I think. I think this is just you know, in, in so many regards, uh, unassailably classic. But at the same time, I am completely aware of the fact that Carpenter feels trapped by its success, um, or may have, because there are other films, other horror films that he's done, that are even better than this. Uh, like his remake of The Thing is absolutely stellar. Um, and you know, he even did the fog and he did like the the guy knows how to manipulate an audience and, and set certain things up. And in like the, the one thing is that in terms of the scares, you know, this, this film doesn't really scare me anymore. It thrills me because, you know, I know all of the moments that are coming. I have this. I no lie. I have this memorized probably almost as well as any Star Wars film. Um, I know the shots. I know the pacing. I purposely go without watching it to preserve as much of you know every rewatch as I can. But I still know it very well. So I think that the testament more. And I would be interested to see your opinion. Like if you were to rewatch it in a year, is to divorce it from the expectation of being frightening. And just looking at it from a strictly uh, scholarly film perspective, if you will, if that might up your opinion of it. Well, and I, I think you know, as we've talked, you know, those uh, it's that scholarliness that I'm respecting. It's just the rest of it that I don't, and it's just because the the rest of what the film is actually going for as a movie, its reason for existing, isn't doing what it's supposed to do for me. And so like there's the other there's the technical aspects, the filmmaking aspects that I really get and I actually appreciated and thought were great. Um I'd say another thing that doesn't, you know, work for me on top of it is that 
there were too many times I couldn't understand why certain characters were doing things that just seemed silly, like uh, dumb. You know, and hormonally driven so. teenagers do things. I was seventeen, and I did idiot stuff left and right. So yeah, you know. I mean, and I, I mean that part I get, but you know, even if, and we talked a little bit before the show, like even the part of of like just being in a place and not turning on the lights, you know, like. Uh, you know, that kind of thing, it's like, it seems so counterintuitive to what you're doing just from anybody's personal experience. The first thing you do when you walk into a room that's dark, you try to turn on the lights. And, and you know, and like, that's so. And people did, but like, in terms of other things, what, what I'm intrigued about is barometer wise, I know you say you don't like horror, but have you seen, you've seen The Shining, right? I haven't seen The Shining. Um, I think the only real other I'm, I'm thinking of, like, I've seen Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen Alien. Okay. Aliens. You know, um, I've seen the, this now. You know, I've seen something like A Quiet Place. So um, I don't have a lot of experience with. Well, well, the thing the thing is, it's just it's just that I want to get sort of a. I think it would be interesting to get a barometer because everybody falls on the scale in a certain way. Right. And so, you know, you, you have alien and did you find that to be thrilling or frightening? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, for me, alien and aliens work better than this. Um, in, okay. in that sense, like the, the thrilling aspect, like the, 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 or a, a quiet place it definitely worked better with that suspense and in that those those kind of moments like they they did what they were supposed to do well i mean mean, the sound design in uh in a quiet place was like next level um oh yeah it's an it's insane but so you haven't seen other horror films of the era like um the shining you haven't seen the exorcist like and i think because specifically the things that i have seen from the shining i think I I know myself personally, and I think I would not. There wouldn't be any enjoyment there. It would just be horror in this in a way that I don't personally want. Okay, and that's just my personality. And so, it, you know, when again, like when we talked about doing this, right. you said this was much more Hitchcockian, and I was like, oh, okay, that, that I mean, that's something I enjoy because I enjoy the Hitchcock thriller suspense. All that I've all, I've. I've seen a lot of his movies and I really enjoy I, what he does. I, so. I would really be interested just to get it sort of get a sense of the scale to try to convince you to watch the shining because that's actually a horror <laughs> film. No, seriously, that's actually a horror film that I hated for years. I, I took every chance. Somebody would bring up the shining. I'd be like, that movie sucks. Like I didn't like it whatsoever. And I, um, and it was actually mutual <laughs> acquaintances of ours. Uh, I, I was on, a um a, a show with Sean Eastridge and and uh, Tristan Riddell and I rewatched The Shining for the first time in years and I mean years years like more than ten years probably even more than that and uh, wow yeah it was probably like twenty years by that anyway um and I, I loved it I was like wow I get it I know why this movie rocks and so I I'm just I'm always curious as to where where people fall on the scale because the seventies were a great time for horror. And and what's really interesting is the seventies is when there's sort of that, you know, auteur school of filmmaker explodes. And so we got a lot of really great horror and the eighties is, I mean, you know, if, if this is anything that's like sort of a a cultural trajectory sort of thing, the eighties is when it all became commoditized Right. Including this series. <laughs> and so like it, it's really sort of fascinating uh, to look at it. I, I would I would want to get select ones, not, you know, not not the the more like I like I would almost say that this is the one, if you want to call it a slasher film that approaches the art house school. Right. Everything that follows after this is the more derivative grist mill stuff. And this, I think. <laughs> carries a lot of weight because it feels much more like it belongs to uh, a Friedkin or a Polanski or a Kubrick school 
not saying not putting them all on a level playing field, but I'm saying it belongs much more to those horror filmmakers than it does to the ones that came after. So, you know. You hear it here, folks. First, uh, I'm going to wake up one night. I'm going to walk out my door, and in my hallway, there are going to be two little girls going, come and play with us. Hey. John Mills wants you to watch The Shining. No, it's going to be me in a Michael Myers mask with a baseball bat saying, what did you say about that movie? <laughs> Michael Myers talks now. Uh, that actually might be scarier than the movie. So, mm. Mm. I, you know, <laughs> uh, you know I... I What's been fascinating about this whole thing, though, for me was just, you know, it's always interesting to go in and watch a movie that, you know, you haven't seen, that so many other people have seen, that have spent their lifetimes, you know, loving and liking and all those kind of things, and just having an, a different reaction. And, and for me, I can honestly say it's just it's just my honest reaction. It, it's, it, I didn't go in with any preconceptions no. other than I don't generally like horror, but with the way that it had been described, I thought that I maybe could like it. And especially since I had just had the experience with uh, this year with A a Quiet Place and and being like, I don't like horror movies, but this looks, there's something about this that looks, and and I loved it. It's one of my favorite films of this year. So, you know, um, I definitely went in this with a completely open mind to thinking I could actually like the film. So, and, and it's not as though I don't, I, for me, like I don't dislike this movie and I'm and, and it's not something where it's like, oh, I hate that movie. That's stupid. It's just it's it's a mixed thing. Like there's some things that I really thought I really enjoyed and were well done. Um and I liked what he did. And then there were the other parts of the film that just didn't work for me. And, and so it just creates that more of a mixed emotion than kind of one fully on one side or the other. Yeah, I get that. I I, I get what you're saying. Um I can I can say, though, now that we've yanked off the Band-Aid and we've inched you closer to watching other horror films, you know, I'll borrow a line from The Simpsons, you know, you're never going to get desensitized to the violence if you don't watch it. So uh, I hope to help you embark on a journey. I'll start giving you more and more things. And eventually, you know, you'll be a fan of, uh, of modern horror films, too. You know, like Saw. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know... Poor little old uh, Ralph. Daddy, I'm so scared I can't even pee my pants. (laughs) Don't worry, son. Just settle down. It'll It'll come. come. It'll come. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, it'll be... uh, I think think maybe now I I, I would put out a call to any listener of the 602 Club, this this episode in specific. Uh, Let's start putting pressure on Matt to watch The Shining. Let's get him to watch The Shining. Tell him you want him to cover it on the show. Just great. Um, but I mean, I think that this is, this has been so fun because I, I loved, you know, you're such a fan and then like, uh, your passion for it is so clear. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really glad that I did this just because, you know, it's one of those things, again, it becomes, you know, for, uh, for both you and I, we, we love movies, you know? And, and so to see a movie that other people have really loved and just to, to say at this point, yeah, I've seen that, you know? And, uh, it, I I guess if I for me if I put a rating on this you know I'd say it's like for me it's 3 out of 5 because I really appreciate uh the technical aspects of the film and I really do think that Carpenter had a lot of good things uh filmmaking wise that I I really enjoyed in this movie and I could I could see him kind of trying to do something in a way that was different um and I could understand uh, specifically, even just in the time period, you know, 78 when this comes out, this is this does feel like something new at that point. You know, it, it feels like something very different than people have seen before in a lot of ways. But like you said, it does have those hallmarks of some of the things that like a Hitchcock would do. And so I really appreciated that. And I can see then why it becomes a kind of a benchmark that other people, you know, like you said, take and they commoditize and they 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 ruin it for for a while until people kind of come back and find a way to bring the horror genre back to more of its roots than just oh well we just need more blood and guts and people screaming and ooh and ah and everybody's I, running you know and screaming a, a, a parallel track you could easily say is with uh, you know Star Wars comes out in seventy seven creates a yeah. big splash and then you watch some of the stuff that came out afterward and you're like whoa. Did they watch the movie and learn anything? 
You know, like it, it, it happens, you know, success breeds imitation. Do you, do you like, is there a way for you to rate this film at all? Yeah, no, I, I can, I can honestly, uh, throw it a, uh, a four and a half to five, uh, probably a five just because of its, uh, its impact on the industry and, and spinning off a subgenre. Um, you know, any limitations that I see in it that I ding it for, I recognize as limitations of its budget. And so I'm not. Yes, you can definitely tell that. I mean, uh, you, I, 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 I think it would be great to go back in time almost and like give him more money just to see what he would do with it. Would it help the film or would it hurt the film? I think that would be fat. I mean, gosh, if I had a TARDIS, I'd go back in time and do that. Uh, you know, I think I think honestly that Carpenter is a guy who's much more comfortable in limited financial, uh, you know, restricted financially. I, I think that he's a, a really clever, innovative filmmaker earlier in his career and able to stretch his dollar really far when you see him start to get bigger budgets post the thing or big trouble in little china then you start to like when you get to escape from la um like when you get into that era eh, you know like you start to see maybe he should have stayed with lower budgets um but you know overall i, I think that you know, again, anything anything I see as a, a flub or a misstep is budgetarily, you know, related. Again, this is it's so fun to just get to do this. This is one of the things I love about the the six hundred two club, and in many ways, I feel like uh, almost like we did a kind of like a missing frames. We just mentioned right? Sean Eastridge, who was just on with uh, doing the uh the x-men uh, f- uh franchise with me as we we're trying to work up to uh dark phoenix which got pushed back but yeah you can listen to our days of future past episode which is the past episode it, from this it's a episode. good one so yeah so but yeah and in fact heck out check out uh sean's show because uh, it's fun uh and people do this kind of thing where somebody watches a movie that they've never seen before they should have seen him at this point so uh yeah plug for my friend sean so uh, it was kind of neat to be able to do this here since I'd never seen it and you convinced me because, well, this is how much I care about you as a friend. I watched a horror film. Oh, stop. Oh, shucks. <laughs> but um, if anybody wants to catch up with us, of course, like I said, you know, hit us up all in the regular places with all the usual suspects over there on Twitter uh, at Trek FM. And then, of course, on Facebook, on the Babel Conference, all those places. Uh, I really want to say thank you to the, the associate producers here that we have through Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Daniel Noah, and Ryan Millette. All of them support this show through Patreon. Now, we are a very large network. Is if, if you've seen Trek FM on uh, any of the places you get your podcasts, you see that we have so many shows coming out each every week. And because of that, the costs for running the network are quite high. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see how you can be a part of our team. We have some great contribution levels. But honestly, any little bit you can do every month helps us keep these high-quality shows coming to you ad-free every single week. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and sign up today. John, I I mean, it is honestly just a joy. If, if It's funny because... I feel like if we had combined this with the beginning, like I think we rec- we talked for about forty minutes before we even started recording. <laughs> so that's that's how much uh, I love this guy. But let people know if they wanted to, like, I mean, because you're a huge Halloween fan, Halloween's coming up. Maybe they want to talk scary movies with you. Where can they find you? Well, you can find me out there uh, in the Twitterverse as Kessel Junkie, K E S S E L J U N K I E. Uh, same moniker over on Letterboxd and Goodreads. And you can find me uh, co-hosting Words of Nerds with my pal Craig. And over on The Nerd Party, I'm co-host on a delightful, delightful Star Wars show of a different stripe called Aggressive Negotiations, which uh, I co-host with somebody named, uh, conveniently, Matt Rushing. Which I have to say, it is an absolute joy to be able to do that each and every week. It's just a lot of fun. In fact... As of the dropping of this show, we just talked about the soundtrack for Empire Strikes Back. So if you want to listen to us 
discuss that, please check it out. It's a lot of fun. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing Outpost with Drea Kaufman, where we talk about Harry Potter. We're going one chapter at a time each and every week. I'm on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I'm on Letterboxd too, but it's MRushing02 there. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network doing the order with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek D Space Nine. And then last but not least, you can find me on a show called Cinema Stories where I talk about films through the lens of faith. And my friend Courtney and I actually did A Quiet Place over there. So I hope you'll check that out. But I want to thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.